Good evening and welcome once again to another episode of the Friday Night Parkdale Special. I'm your host Joyrider coming to you live from the Dollhouse in downtown Toronto with my feline co-hosts Chatty G, Silent J, and Floofmaster Toby. And this is episode 74. So this week we're going to be looking at the Tulsa sound. And if you are not familiar with this term, it's actually one of those things where the artists who were initially part of the movement contest the validity of that label, or there even being a label for that matter. A lot of it comes down to how difficult it is to actually define the Tulsa sound. You just know it when you hear it, is what I was seeing from a number of writers. One of the key players of the time, Leon Russell, was quoted as saying, well, I suppose there is a Tulsa sound, but you're talking to somebody that's in the middle of it. That's kind of like asking a fish about the properties of water. I found a lot of fantastic information in both Oklahoma Today and Tulsa World. One author who in particular is actually working on a documentary that won't be released until I believe July, and that is John Woolley, an award-winning author and music historian. If you are interested in seeing or supporting the documentary, a lot of information can be found at www.tulsasoundfilm.com. They are also on Facebook, if that's more your speed. Either way, keep an eye peeled if you want to check that out. So let's talk about the geography, first of all, because I believe that plays a huge role in the Tulsa Sound. Oklahoma is south-central of the USA, and it is under Kansas to the east of New Mexico, west of Arkansas, north of Texas. Louisiana is just sort of kitty corner to the southeast, and Missouri to the northeast. So you can imagine the breadth of musical influences coming in from all around Oklahoma which would contribute to there being some kind of fusion of sounds. There'd be a lot of country and blues and some jazz. And Tulsa has a really fascinating history all on its own. If you are not familiar with the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921, there are some fantastic documentaries, and I think that the existence of a strong black community in the early part of the 1900s is part of what set the stage for love of the sounds that would come to make up the Tulsa sound. The 32nd version of this history is essentially that after the Civil War, a number of freed black people were essentially redlined into a neighborhood that became known as the Greenwood District and they established their own shops, and this neighborhood thrived. And it eventually felt very threatening to a lot of the white folks who lived there. I believe the term economic anxiety would be fair to use in this situation. And so one day when a shoeshine boy accidentally stumbled in an elevator and bumped into the white girl who was operating the elevator, the incident got blown out of proportion and white people took it upon themselves to enact their own kind of vigilante justice, which amounted to 
murders, lynchings, beating, and eventually the burning down of many or most of the houses and businesses within the Greenwood District. All in all, it's not known at this time how many people were actually murdered in the course of this event. It was one of many uh, race-related massacres in the States during that time. And as with so many others, the bodies tended to be buried in mass unmarked graves. Excavations are currently, to my knowledge, still ongoing to try and discover the true extent of the horror of this situation. In the end, a lot of the black folks left because not only had their homes been burned down, their belongings had been stolen, their businesses had been destroyed, and there had been planes firing at them as they tried to run for safety. A number of those who survived did not return. Given that a number of the key players in the Tulsa Sound were born in the mid to late 30s, their parents would have been alive if very young at the time of the massacre, and so they would have heard stories, and that music would have still been a part of the fabric of their lives. So based on all of the things that I was reading, the best way to define the Tulsa sound is that it's an amalgam of rock and blues, with some rockabilly and jazz, but it was typically white guys. And this isn't entirely surprising considering that after the 1921 massacre, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the black folks moved away from Tulsa and part of the zeitgeist would have been Elvis. And by the time the these guys were all in high school, Elvis was out there doing his thing and they were hearing it and it was a much less sedate approach to rock and roll. So when Elvis actually played in Tulsa on April 18th, 1956, a lot of the primaries of the scene were really surprised because instead of seeing like 12 to 15 guys on a stage, which would have been common of the big bands that they might have seen when they were kids, it was four or five people. That's it and they realized they could do the same. So they started picking up instruments and figuring out how to play them. And as early as the age of 12, with some of the key players, they were forming bands and performing with bands and really getting this whole scene going. It was primarily Leon Russell who moved to L.A. in 1958 to quote-unquote chase his dreams and ended up making a lot of connections who really set the groundwork for the others who would follow him from Tulsa in a couple of years to L.A. And that sort of gathering of all of the players in L.A. was what caused the sound to really explode. And when I say explode, I don't just mean that people from that part of Oklahoma got the chance to make it big. Their sound ended up influencing a number of really well-known musicians around the globe. But we'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. The article that I found on Oklahoma Today describes this song in its first line as being a perspiring blend of rockabilly and lustful lyrics. 
and goes on to say that this track eventually landed on the Billboard Top 100, which was the first time a song of the Tulsa sound had done so. From 1957, this is Clyde Stacy's Hoy Hoy. Well, I dreamed of heaven and I saw my baby there. I dreamed of heaven and I saw my baby there. Down here the white teeth and cold black curly hair. first tracks that made a huge impact on the sound was by Tulsan Rocky Frisco, who was performing at the time under his stage name Rocky Curtis. This track came out in 1959, and it was a single from his only major label release. And this is Rocky Curtis and the Harmony Flames performing I Told Myself a Lie. I told
Next up, we have a track from Flash Terry, another one of the early players in the Tulsa Sound. He was born in Enola, but uh, ended up growing up in Tulsa, and that's actually where he died as well. This track made it big in 1961 from Flash Terry. This is She's My Baby. next act we're going to hear from is actually covering an early song by Junior Markham and the Tulsa Review. I had no luck tracking down the original version, but when I was reading an interview with Jimmy Junior Markham, he said the following, if I had known that the Tulsa sound was going to be what it is today, I might have done some things differently. I don't know where the title come from, and we discussed this among the guys. The only thing that I can explain is it was a number of real good players who played well together and were sympathetic toward each other. And this is something that comes up from time to time among the interviews that I read. A lot of these guys 
have similar feelings around the Tulsa sound that I remember reading about when I was reading up on Motown. It was more like a family jam band with members coming and going. And that was one of the charms of the Tulsa sound was that people would just come and go from the groups and it didn't affect the quality of the work. It was more about the ethos and the personality that each player brought to the performance. From a much later tribute album called Back to Paradise, this is Jesse A. Cox's version of Jimmy Junior Markham's Black Cherry.
This next artist wasn't actually born in Tulsa. He became part of the scene in a roundabout way. He was actually born in Harlem and his parents came of age during the Harlem Renaissance. His father was a musician and Mahal, who was actually born Henry St. Clair Fredericks Jr., picked up the guitar not long after his father died when he was 11. He ended up moving out to Santa Monica, which is where he ended up meeting Rye Cooter and Jesse Ed Davis. Jesse Ed Davis is the connection. Jesse Ed Davis was born in Oklahoma City, but it wasn't until he as well moved out to California, landing in Marina del Rey, where he met Leon Russell. He began working with Leon Russell, picking up session work, and as a result of doing that session work, he met Taj Mahal. While Taj Mahal had a number of his own influences, particularly West Indian and Caribbean sound, there's no doubt that his work was influenced by his association with so many people who were active in the Tulsa sound, which is why he gets included on a number of lists about the Tulsa sound, as well as in this show. So let's take a listen now to Taj Mahal's Easy Rider.
The next artist we're going to hear from is one of the biggies of the scene to which a lot of the route is attributed. He is known to be larger than life, frequently appearing in a top hat, and has worked with artists such as Joe Cocker, The Beach Boys, Jan and Dean, Eric Clapton, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison, and Elton John was an early fan of his. In one anecdote, a musician from the scene who considered Leon Russell a mentor went to him to be let out of his contract because he'd been invited to go play with Eric Clapton. And apparently Leon was living in this massive mansion at the time and he had this chair that he had had imported from England was almost throne-like and he was sitting there in this chair wearing the top hat and his response when the artist asked to be allowed to leave was you know if it was anybody else I'd say no but yeah go you have my blessing I should also mention that Leon Russell is one of the key people to have brought pianos into the sound, and that's really where the jazz connection can be heard most strongly. So, up next from Leon Russell, this is Tightrope. I'm up on tightrope, one side's ice and one is fire. It's a circus game with you and me I'm up on a tightrope One side's hate and one is hope But the top hat on my head is all you see And the wire seems to be the only place for me A comedy of errors and a I'm up in the spotlight Oh, does it feel right? Well, the altitude seems to get to me I'm up on a tight wire Playing by life and the funeral pyre Putting on a show for you to see I'm up in the spotlight Oh, does it feel right? Well, the altitude really gets to me I'm up on a tight wire Flanked by life and the funeral pyre But I ain't gonna show you to see
When our next artist first entered the scene, he was dubbed JJ because he had the same name as a member of the Velvet Underground, and there was a concern that they might get confused for one another. And so John Weldon Kale became JJ Kale. He was absolutely one who avoided the limelight, although he did end up being part of a documentary not too long ago that followed him on tour. He was influential for Mark Knopfler, Neil Young, and Eric Clapton, and with Eric Clapton so much so that Clapton ended up doing covers of two of J.J. Kale's songs. This first one is called Cocaine, and you may be familiar with it. This is J.J. Kale's Cocaine. Roger Tillerson was one of the lesser-known members of the Tulsa Sound. He was pretty strongly influenced by country and very much a part of the scene. His repertoire was full of 
rare Woody Guthrie tracks and he only had a couple of albums from his first solo album called Roger Tillerson's album. This is Down in the Flood. You may recall earlier I mentioned how the Tulsa sound seemed to have a lot of people who would bounce from one group to another, and that led to 
a sort of six degrees of separation within the sound. In addition to covering J.J. Kale, Eric Clapton also played with a drummer named Oldecker. And Oldecker also played with a couple of other people, such as Bob Seger. Bob Seger also played with a few other musicians of the Tulsa Sound, including David Teagarten and Skip Van Winkle. They moved to Detroit, and you can definitely hear the influence of Motown on their sound, to a point where one of their songs was actually covered by The Temptations. So, up next we have Teagarten and Van Winkle's God, Love, and Rock and Roll.
This next act was also a key part of the Tulsa scene in the 70s. In addition to playing as their own thing, Delaney and Bonnie, they also performed with the Allman Brothers, Eric Clapton, George Harrison, Leon Russell, and Rita Coolidge. From 1972, this is Delaney and Bonnie's Coming Home. If you noticed the wind instruments uh, in the background of that song, one of them is this next artist, Bobby Keys. Bobby Keys ended up going out on his own for a while, and one of the songs that he produced while a solo artist is this next one. From Bobby Keys, this is Steal From a King.
While this next artist was born in California, he moved to Tulsa when he was 10 with his family and ended up going to university in Chicago. As a result of his time in Tulsa, he became very much into the Tulsa sound. This song by Elvin Bishop is called Calling All Cows. Talking about little milk and 
There's some debate about whether or not this next artist really fits into the Tulsa sound, particularly because his work with the group Bread is considered a bit more poppy, but his solo work is a little bit more on the Tulsa side. And that stands to reason as he is another Tulsa native. From 1980, this is David Gates' Can I Call You? Things and power, can I call you? 
We've touched on this next act in a previous show, the funk episode in particular, and I think at the time we didn't really talk about the historical context of them. I'm speaking of the Gap Band, and I know I mentioned that it was three brothers, but if I didn't explain where the name came from, the Gap Band is actually named for three streets in the Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Gap stands for Greenwood, Archer, and Pine. Given that they are black, they brought, I think, a different sensibility to their music, and I think that comes through in their sound. They are far more funk-oriented than a lot of the acts who were primarily white. With that in mind, this is The Gap Band's Steppin' Out.
Now we're going to move into artists that were influenced by the Tulsa sound. I did mention that Eric Clapton was very much influenced by the Tulsa sound and one of the bands that he was in was Cream. Let's see if listening to Cream we can hear any influence of the Tulsa sound. Up next from Cream, this is Sunshine of Your Love.
Another artist who was heavily influenced by someone in the Tulsa sound was Joe Cocker. In addition to covering one of Leon Russell's songs, Leon Russell also coordinated Joe Cocker's tour called Mad Dogs and Englishmen. And the version that Joe Cocker did of Leon Russell's Delta Lady ended up being the most well-known version. So let's take a listen to that now. This is from the 1970 live album entitled Mad Dogs and Englishmen, Joe Cocker's version of Leon Russell's Delta Lady. Delta Lady it is, my love.
So that recording is actually from the tour that Leo and Russell helped to coordinate. And it should be noted that Joe Cocker's voice has always been raspy like that. According to an interview he did with NPR, he said that he had this high, sweet voice and then, quote unquote, my voice did what voices do and suddenly I sounded raspy. So I take that to mean that puberty hit and his voice changed completely. I have a soft spot for Joe Cocker and it's largely because I remember watching the Chum 30 with my dad on Saturday nights and his song On the Edge of a Dream was one of the first songs that I remember not only being played on that show, but his biggest song being played on that show. And I should mention as well that if you noticed a similarity in that rhythm and style to what Ike and Tina Turner were doing in that same time period, that is actually not surprising because at the time they were also working with Leon Russell. I mentioned that Neil Young was also an artist who was influenced by what was going on in the Tulsa scene. And he was also acquainted with Eric Clapton. This next song encompasses his association with Eric Clapton from 1977. This is Neil Young's The Needle and the Damage Done.
I hit the city and I lost my band I watched the needle take another man Gone, gone, the damage song because I love the man I know that some of you don't understand milk blood to keep from running out I've seen the needle and the damage done a little part of it in everyone but every junkie's like a sitting sun David Teagarden ended up going up to Detroit and he felt that Bob Seger was one of the few white guys in Detroit that had any soul. He started coming over, quote unquote, to our house in Detroit, jamming with us and hanging out. So Teagarden joined Bob Seger's Silver Bullet Band in early 1977 and would continue with the band until sometime in 1981. From 1980, this is Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Bands Against the Wind. Seems like yesterday, but it was long ago. Jane, it was lovely, she was a queen of my night. There in the darkness with the radio playing low end And the secrets that we share The mountains that we move Caught like a wildfire out of control Till there was nothing left to burn and nothing left to prove
song reminds me of a Jackson Brown's Running on Empty with Leon Russell having launched his own record company in 1970 he ended up coming back after Joe Cocker's Mad Dogs and Englishmen tour to open the church recording studio at 3rd and Trenton which is still physically present has exchanged hands a number of times over the years, but has been retained as a cultural heart of the Tulsa sound. And part of its importance lies in the fact that it was, to borrow a line from Oklahoma Today, a magnet for rock royalty. It drew a number of people, including George Harrison, Elton John, and Tom Petty, some of them simply came to quote-unquote soak up the vibes others came to record tom petty was one of the latter from tom petty and the heartbreakers this is i won't back down Turn 
In addition to doing session work with the Beatles and Yoko Ono and solo albums from John Lennon and George Harrison and Ringo Starr, David Keltner also played with Pink Floyd, specifically on their album, A Momentary Lapse of Reason. From 1987's A Momentary Lapse of Reason, this is Pink Floyd's One Slip. Tonight 
So we're going to close out the show with some selections of the more modern version of the Tulsa sound. It hasn't really stopped. It's just evolved. First up from 1994 is The Tractors, which features Jimmy Carstein, who was a drummer born in 1943, one of the originals of the scene. He participated in this band as it formed in the early 90s. This is the tractors baby likes to rock it baby likes to rock it like a buggy wuggy choo choo
next, we have another artist who moved to Tulsa when he was 10 in 1995. Shortly after they moved there, his dad taught him how to play guitar and he started playing in bands when he was about 12 or 13 with a kid he went to church with. He got his start in punk and hardcore bands. This is John Moreland and his song, High on Tulsa Heat.
Next up, we have a track that was a favorite to play of Rocky Frisco. He continued to be active up until his death at 77. And the Red Dirt Rangers were big fans of his, and not just because he played one of their tracks. So let's take a listen to that now. This track, which Rocky Frisco used to cover, is by the Red Dirt Rangers, and it's called Staring Down the Sun. Staring down the sun And once again I'm 
I should mention a couple of things at this point. J.J. Kale was really the first to bring pianos into the Tulsa sound. And given that the Red Dirt Rangers are a more modern group, it's interesting to see that that is still a part of that sound. I should also mention that Red Dirt is considered a genre of its own, a sort of next door neighbor or younger brother to the Tulsa Sound. It comes from Stillwater, Oklahoma, and it encompasses a lot of that same route. However, it takes it in a slightly different direction. But that is another episode. Up next, we have a track from John Calvin Abney, who is also from Tulsa, and released this particular album, which is his second full-length album, called Far Cries and Close Calls in 2016. This is John Calvin Abney's Way Out. I was 
Our last song for the night comes to us from Jacob Tovar and the Saddle Tramps, who are also out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and leans heavily, like some of the other newer artists that we've been listening to, towards the countryside of the Tulsa sound. In addition to having several albums, he has also played the Woody Guthrie Folk Festival. This is Jacob Tovar and the Saddle Tramps, and their song, Three Good Reasons. Now he spent last winter dancing at the Canes Ballroom. Planned spring in Woodward Park, watched the azaleas bloom. But the heat in July made those flowers die. Then along came August, and I was fed up with your lies, and I got Got reasons for leaving Tulsa Got three good reasons Not just one or two I've got three good reasons for leaving Tulsa It's July, August, and you are still Summer skirt. Well, and started acting like a tea towel's biggest flirt. I with guys buzzing round you like flies on a screen door. Hell, I don't think I can take it. I can't take it anymore. And I got three good reasons for leaving Tulsa. Got three good reasons, not just one or two. I've got three good reasons for leaving Tulsa. It's July, August, and you. Here I go now. Tricks. I might be better off a rolling down 66. And all I got this summer was a heartache and a sunburn. I never really loved me. Well, I guess it was my turn. Now I've got three good reasons for leaving Tulsa. Got three good reasons, not just one or two. I've got three good reasons for leaving Tulsa. It's July, August, and you. And that's our show for tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to have you share some of your week with me. If you like what I do, consider supporting the show by tossing a coin to your DJ at ko-fi.com forward slash djoyrider. Your tips go to new tunes for future episodes. You can follow the show on Facebook at the Friday Night Parkdale Special, all one word. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at djoyrider. I'm always open to new show ideas, and those are great places to drop your suggestions. I look forward to hearing them. And keep an eye out on the social media because I'm looking into getting some merch happening very, very soon. As always, be well and stay safe. And we'll see you next week. 
Have a good one.